0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Ready. Play.
1: Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. As it is here in Central Europe, or at least Central European time, it is 6:23 a.m maybe uh australian open aside if you like the week to should we ignore that tournament the earliest i think i've done a pod uh, of this nature i have no idea whether we'll have one or a 100 viewers vanch but um at least where you are it's a fairly convenient 9:23 p.m.
0: yeah it's a nice sunday night here in san diego and uh, it's been an exhilarating week of tennis so i'm happy to come on your show and talk about it no,
1: it's great, Vanch. And I have to do a little bit of housekeeping behind me. I was on a on a football podcast yesterday evening, but that needs to come down. And this uh, Roger Federal book can go back up. So uh, he can sit there nicely. But yeah, I was on a podcast about uh, nine, 10 hours ago um, with some Manchester United fans. Uh, very happy with with winning our first trophy in six years. Uh, Ghosty, by the way, is joining us here for yeah, the alcaraz Noi match. We'll be talking about that. That'll probably be second or third on the agenda, if you like, um, because, uh, as he suggested, it was a lot of fun for a million different reasons. And we'll definitely be getting into that, Ghosty, and great to have you on board. Everyone who is joining, make sure you hit that like button and don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you are new. Okay, Vanch, let's get things going. And I think we should start with the WTA one thousand event uh that obviously took place last week in Dubai. I get myself confused all the time with these various different emirates and, and countries in the region, but I'm pretty sure it was Dubai where this took place, wasn't it? Um uh, yes. the WTA yeah. So Kalachikova kind of of winning that final in straight sets, but what we had seen before until that final was basically Sfiontek doing exactly what she did in Doha the week before, which is basically just beating everyone with the expense of a few games. But what changed in the final?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, so first of all, Kritiko, um in this tournament was sort of coming in, um, you know, with a fourth round appearance at the Australian Open and sort of had like, didn't really have a whole lot of momentum since then until uh, until this tournament. But this is a place that she made the final here two years ago. She's obviously a French Open champion. She obviously has beaten Iga before um, last year in the Ostrava final in a 500, albeit. Yeah. Uh, but she is, from, she, is, she is a formidable rival now to, to Iga and has even pushed her on clay and has won the French Open. and So all of that coming in, and you had, add in the fact that she had saved match points against Kazakina, sort of playing on house money saving the four match points there and then having beaten, uh, you know, the second seed Sabalenka reigning Australian open champion was on the 13th match wins streak herself comes back from love six, one, three down, wins that match um, in amazing dominant fashion in the third set. And then obviously Bagels, Pagula in the third set in the semis. Um, and then, and then you get to the, this big crescendo in the final. And I thought the way she played Iga was very tactically sound and smart. She was really able to um, return super aggressively on the second serve probably better than even shirontek and that's one of shirontek's biggest strengths uh i love how she's able to absorb pace and redirect uh her backhand is majestic uh, she has a sort of short take back on it which lends itself very well to absorbing power and uh creating good angles and then she's very formidable at uh, using the slice as well uh to keep Ika at bay and you know really uh take control of these rallies from the baseline and uh, also serving well, and I, I just felt like Iga never really was able to get, uh, play the kind of game that she wanted to and settle from the baseline. And like you said, she likes to really dominate. She's been really dominating pretty much everyone um, that she's faced, and all of these are top fifteen level players or major finalists. And in this match, it sort of feels like she, um, it's an interesting dichotomy because although she's bageling and breadsticking a lot of these players, she's yeah. also uh, lost fairly comprehensively her last three losses at least yeah. uh, you know to the likes of Pegula and United Cup and then Rabakina in the Australian Open and now Krajikova and it kind of struck me like um first of all ego was also a little under the weather she was struggling with the cold so I think um you know that may have also hindered some of her ability to you know problem solve at times and really adapt to what Krajikova was was throwing at her which was very different from any other opponent with all the variety and all the she's more I think kind of similar to an Ashbardi in that sense of that sort of redirection and variety type type of mold. You know, you can throw in an Andrescu and a Benchich and maybe a Mukova as well. And these type of players have the type of game to disrupt Iga. I feel like she's kind of a good disruptor in that sense. And she she took advantage of it and I thought she played exceptional, especially the last four games of the uh of the second set. And it kind of I think maybe It was a good match to kind of show that Iga is super dominant, but she also has a few things in her game that she can really work on, particularly the serve. I thought was a big thing that, um, you know, Shiontek wasn't winning many second serve points. And part of that is actually because I looked at the stats and she made 69% of her first serves. And you think, okay, that's a pretty good number, but she only won 57% of those points. And, um, you know, and, and on the second serve, it was even less. It was under 30%. And I just feel like if she can get more out of her first serve, more purchase... Um, she'll be able to really hold her own when she's getting outplayed from the baseline because she's such a good returner but um, so is Krachikova so she was kind of losing that serve return dynamic and um, you know the points the long rallies that she would have liked weren't going her way because she was getting rushed a lot so that was that was interesting to to see and I also thought just emotionally she wasn't uh, you know she was maybe pulling the trigger sometimes a little bit at at the wrong moments because you know maybe she's also tired it's been she she won last week um and she's it's pretty hard to do the doha dubai double i was looking at the players in the past and only hingis and kenan uh, only Henan and hingis have done it in 2007 and 2001 and they're very different conditions and dubai is a lot faster and doha is a, a lot more of the slower hardcore type so but uh you know iga can at least be proud that she defended her points from the middle east from last year uh-huh. And Krishikawa, I think, is a very deserving winner, and I think I'd be surprised if she's not in the top eight by the end of this year, and maybe even top five. Um, yes, yeah. I think she's that good. She's legit.
1: Yeah, I do. And uh by the way, we've got a question from Ghosty. I'll I'll, I'll pose that to you. Uh, I'll put it on the screen right now. But before I get your thoughts on it, Vanch, I'll just give a couple of thoughts for me and. I as, I, as I'm showing this tweet as well, I went quite big on Krajcikova for Australia. I think I had her down to get to the semifinals there. Um, you know, no shaming going out. Did she go out to Bagula in Australia? Yeah. I'm just trying yeah. to... Yeah, exactly. But I mean, that's a tough fourth round and, and maybe I shouldn't have been so optimistic regarding Krejcikova, given how well Pagula did in the United Cup beforehand. But I, I was very optimistic for Krejcikova. Um I don't think I was getting too carried away by certain comments from her, social media posts of her exercising and just l- probably in the best shape that she had been in for about 18 months. I think she had one or two injury issues last year that certainly undermined her chances. She in, had an
0: in, elbow problem that kept her out for, for four exactly. months and that really derailed her momentum and she wasn't really the same player until, until, until the end of the half. year in, in October. She won two yeah. titles back-to-back. Back.
1: Exactly, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I was really optimistic for her in Australia, but maybe I, I jumped the gun a little bit, but she's certainly, uh, you know, going into the final Vanch, one other thing before I get you to answer this question from ghosty is going into the final of the two scenarios, if you like the two extreme scenarios, i.e., a cheek of a win, if you like, or a eager, you know, steamroller two and one, if you like. Of those two possibilities, I did think the most likely was a Klaychikova win, despite I- Iga's imperious form from the previous couple of weeks. I just thought that that could win this. I probably, if you had to push me into corner, probably would have gone for Iga before the match. But I was thinking Krajikova has a great chance. A lot of that was down to the Ostrava win, and I was still remembering that. And by the way, I think there were some cold issues that day um, yes. from from Iga as well. But Listen, taking nothing nothing away from Krajchikova from either of those two wins. And now, building up to, to this point here from Ghosty, um, do you think that there's something about Krajchikova and, and the way that she plays, or or is it just that Kraichikova is capable of of derailing Iga?
0: Yeah, I think you know, like I was saying, she's a good disruptor in terms of uh, you know, the things that the the, the things that she can do because there's very few players who have that kind of skills and that kind of skill and talent to redirect as well as she does. And it's just so effortless. You look at her ground strokes, um, she just no matter how hard you hit you hit it, she kind of just pins it right back to you uh deep. And then she's able to use the angles and open it up really well. I think she's there's sort of two types of players on a hard court or at least a quick hard court that can disrupt. And that's kind of the Sabalanka ribakana model of just first strike tennis off the serve and the return and just, you know, go after the Shvantec second serve and the forehand and just, you know, don't let her get into nine plus shot rallies where she can really use her defense. Um, that's one style. And then there's sort of the disruptor style, which is th- which is power in its own way, but it's more it's more using the pace of your opponent, and that's kind of what Bardi does. And I think uh Krzykova's more in that Barty camp. So I do think now looking at the matchup, they played each other four times. And uh, you know, Shvantek has now lost two finals to Krijchikova and the one time that they played even on clay in Rome, uh Spiontek had to save two match points to win. Yeah. So I do think this is a th- this is maybe um, eye opening to some of the other players on tour. Like for example, if um, I think if Carolina Mukova were to play Iga, that would be fascinating for me as well because she's also a little bit like Ash Barty in in terms of how she constructs her points. So I do think uh, to your larger point, I do think this is um, th- this does show that uh, while Iga, for the most part, her ceiling is pretty high and she she uh, is going to bring a pretty consistent, reliable level that's going to be the best player in the world every single day. There are a few matchups that she's going to struggle a little bit in. And I think this is this is one of them. Um yeah, along with the Sabakina, uh, Sabalenka Rabakina uh, matchups as well. So I just hope we see this rivalry more because um, you know, certainly their Kritikova looks to be formidable on all surfaces. Now we don't know Grass yeah. as much, but she did get to the fourth round of the twenty twenty one Wimbledon and lost out to Ashbardi, who won the whole thing. So um I do think there's potential.
1: The interesting thing as well is that you know Sfiontek in 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 two of her three grand slam wins obviously being at the French Open and I think both of those French Open runs in 2020 and 2022 were both without dropping a set yeah. and it kind of appears uh, except that she,
0: she did lose one set last year Oh yeah, she, she did, did yeah, she did yeah to, the first to set,
1: but yeah you're right she lost one set to um to uh Zheng I think wasn't yeah, it
0: Zheng yeah in the fourth round. round fourth round yeah
1: but um but basically the gap between her and the rest on clay and perhaps even more so uh in in Paris just seemed to be so big in the last couple of years if yeah. you like that it was like her French open to lose but very interestingly is that the peers that you you highlighted and even maybe the matchups you highlighted Mukova, Krajiceva you know, Sabalenka, of course, uh, they are also very handy on that surface. So I do think the gap there might be much closer. I mean, if the French yeah. Open started tomorrow, of course, Egar would be the favourite. But compared to last year's pretty serene run to winning the title, I don't see it being quite as clean a run. And I also see the the clay court season, I see a bit more of an even spread amongst the trophies, if you like. Uh, uh throughout the clay because don't forget it was this time last year that she went on her um
0: I, I like that football. you brought that point because the French Open is kind of on the women's side is more of an outlier event you also have Rome and the French and they play completely different from Stuttgart and Madrid yeah. and in Stuttgart I remember Samsonova, you know kind of similar in that a Sabalenka first strike tennis type mode even on a clay court indoors was able to really push Viontek to seven five in the third and you know, won a set, and she was one of the very few to win a set in that whole 37-match win streak. So I do think even a Sabalenka, Rabakina, or a Samsonova, or, you know, even a Benchich on a really good day can can pose some matchup problems for Iga, even on clay. But on at Rome and the French, uh, I, I just think she's a, maybe a class class above the rest of the field. Albeit, she'll still have to, uh, you know, she'll still have to keep up that mantle as the favorite, and uh, you know, mentally has to be there for every match because people are going to, you know, they're going to see these one-sided results and that aura is going to keep chipping and chipping. And, you know, the gap is not so, the bag, the gap is not, not as big as it, as it sometimes seems um, because half the yeah. battle is sometimes lost before you step on the court, uh, as we've I seen almost... with the all-time greats.
1: I almost think that sometimes these wins in the last couple of weeks sometimes can set you up for a fall in a way. Uh, I think yeah. I saw it in. I'm trying to think who it was in Australia. It might have been Pagula actually, who was just sort yeah. of winning very, very easily. And and Eager two in the third round in Australia, uh, she beat a Spanish girl like one and O or something or two yeah. and one.
0: There was, was the Busca match where uh, yeah, uh, Andrés who was going to get there and exactly we yeah. and, and we didn't we didn't have that. And, and it
1: yeah. probably didn't help Iga. And I don't think yeah. it helped Pagula in the moments when, it, you know, the next round, if you'd like, for, for Iga, as it turned out in the fourth round against Kazakina. Anyway, listen, back to Krajikova. Uh Is this the beginning of, of of something really big, maybe a rivalry with Iga, but even, you know, is she going to win a, another major this year?
0: Um, I don't know if she'll win another major this year. I, I don't know. I... Don't, uh, I you know, like I said, the French Open, you know, guys still goes in as a pretty big favorite just on that surface. And then on grass, I think there are, you know, maybe some other dangerous floaters and names that can that can disrupt uh, Krajikova even because Krajikova does have a pretty big backswing on the forehand. But I do think the rest of her game with all the double success that she has and with how, how she constructs points, it can lend itself to a good result there. I'm not sure if she'll win the title, but she can certainly go deep at all the, the remaining three majors. Um, I could potentially, and then as for the rivalry, um, it, it's interesting because she is like five or six years older than Iga. He's still only twenty-one, but um, but I, but but I hope so. Like especially because they've been meeting mostly on a fast uh, hard court. If they were to meet during the clay season, you know, hopefully it's going to be in future rounds because now, uh, like later on in the event, because Kudchikova was thirty in the world and now she's sixteen, and I think she with the way she's playing, if she can sustain yeah. this. Um, and get past some of those early tough rounds because even in this tournament, I mean, we could be sitting here having a very different conversation and talking about ego holding up the trophy if Kasakina put Krachikova away at, at five four in the third set in the second round, with how tough these draws are. So she beat she had to beat four top ten players for us to even be talking about this as a potential rivalry. And I think it
1: was one, two and three in the world in, in Sviontek, yeah. Savalenko and Pagula was it? I think is number yes. three in the world. And
0: she's only the fifth player in WTA history to do that so that's yeah, that's a pretty impressive achievement and then you add all her wins and doubles with seven majors there and then three in mixed and she's won Olympic gold and the WTA finals and now she's got this 1000 so yeah I, I think very realistically with this current landscape I think she should be a top five player in the world I, I really do.
1: Me too. Okay before we move on from this tournament uh, any just thoughts on Savalenko and, and her sort of not making it to the
0: final? Um, I'm not too concerned. Like, she won two matches. She was up 6-0, 3-1, but um, <clears throat> I didn't think she played a terrible game to get broken. And then in the tiebreak, she just double-faulted twice. And, sometimes, and you know, that's you're not going to win a tiebreak when you do that. And then the, the third set was just really lights out. And, you know, you do kind of expect a little bit of a dip. Uh, you know, last year itself, she she had quite a bit of a dip, but she was still good enough to get to the top five. So I do think her base level and her floor has improved a lot. And she's become a lot more uh you know, accustomed to being I, I think she's more equipped to handle this uh situation of being a first time major winner than most of the other players who've in the past because she was the best to have not done it. And now I feel like because she's gotten this monkey off her back, I think she can be a threat everywhere. Mm-hmm. And hopefully she's allowed to play Wimbledon because she's she was a semifinalist there as well. And yeah, um, you know, she could have easily been playing Barty in the final in twenty twenty one. So yeah. I certainly give her a shot at the other three. I think clay will be a little harder. She maybe doesn't defend as well on clay, but then you also have those tournaments at Stuttgart in Stuttgart and Madrid where she does really well. Yeah. And then you know she can also get. I think semifinals of Rome she's made, and I think she can easily get past the quarters of the French too. So, yeah. I, I, hopefully, Sabalenka and Ego will play play each other quite a bit too, because that rivalry is also one that's that I think maybe has even more potential than the critique of a one.
1: Quite possibly, yes. I, I agree with you. I think there's no need to, to panic. I mean, she did bagel the eventual winner as well. So, yeah. so there we go. Listen, talking of of, of bageling or, or, or drama, I should say, well, bagel too, because uh, in the quarter, sorry, in the semi-final, that's exactly what Andy Murray did to Lahetska in the first set. But maybe I'm getting a bit ahead of myself because what a week he had. Before we get to Daniel Medvedev, the eventual champion, Murray losing in the final uh, there in Qatar. Uh, Let's just have a quick word on Murray because he's picked up from where he left off in Australia in so many ways.
0: Yeah, very much so. I mean, every single one of his matches has gone to the wire over three hours, and he's seeming to recover very well from from these from these matches. And I I think, as our friends Scott and Claire call it, it's always a Murray coaster or you know (laughs) roller coaster of a ride that Andy sort of takes you on, you know. And but what I like is that he's. playing a little bit more aggressively, and he's more committed to it than I've seen it in the past. And because he put in so much work in the offseason, physically he looks much more durable, and he can actually back up these wins. I was very impressed, most of all with the um, Alex, obviously he saved those two, he won two matches, saving match points, but I was very impressed with the Zverev win. Because I I thought for the first time in a long time, Zverev was actually playing at a pretty high level, at least you know, much closer to where he was at when he beat Alcaraz at the French, and was in that match against Nadal when he got hurt. So this was a this was a quality win where I thought Murray really had to use every ounce of his experience and his um, sort of IQ and his match acumen to to dissect Zverev, who was serving really big and he won the second set and had some break chances to even go up a break in the third. And you you know you're thinking with Zverev serving like this and playing this well, is 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 he going to be too good for Andy? But Andy still found a way out and he problem solved and and then he backed it up nicely with another. Three set win over Muller and then uh you know also save match points before this very of match against Sonigo and then the Lehetchka one was crazy because he yeah. wins that first set, he bagels Lahechka, and then Lahechka wins the second, and then he has um two match points on his own serve, which he gets out of, and then he has three more at five-four, 40 love uh does Lahechka. And I think maybe Lahechka will have some regrets because he definitely probably should have closed it out from there. Uh, and you know he's had a very good year too, so I don't think it'll derail him. And he did actually play a decent tiebreak as well. But for Murray to come out of that, that was a total miracle. Because <laughs> I did not, you know, even though he baggled him in the first set, I was not. That was yeah. Uh, no, I I, f-
1: f- I I feared for Andy in a way because, uh, you know, having seen quite a few tennis matches in my life, uh, when you win the first set six love, it's uh, not always
0: know, a good omen. It's no, not, and, you know, can only go down omen. from there, right? If you
1: don't win the second set in a way, I mean, I can recall Nadal losing six love to team in the first set in a match that went five. you know, I, I I'm just think you would think that you win a set six love. it's suggesting good things for the match and but if you don't close it out in straight sets, then things can sort of very quickly go wrong and and with being a breakdown in the third and as you say facing five match points, but the Murray Miracle did roll on uh until the final um it didn't quite work out for him in the final but it's good to see that you know he's playing I think now Medvedev is back in the top 10 now in the world so he's he's playing a top 10 player in the world and arguably on this kind of surface maybe even higher than that and he is competitive if you like uh albeit that it was straight sets um but maybe maybe Andy's getting paid by this year he's getting paid by the by the minute or, or by the hour and he needs to clock in his timesheet at the end of each session and go, I did three and a half hours today, so uh, pay up. Um, because he's spending so much time on court, he's on court more often than a judge. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, even if the preposition is slightly different, on court, in court, you got it. Uh, but listen, let's talk about um, Daniel Medvedev. That's two tournaments now back-to-back. Where is he at as we sort of edge closer to, to, the, um, to the Sunshine Double?
0: Yeah, he's looking to be in a much, much better place. Uh, having won the title this week, I wanted to, um, you know, make sure that I wasn't getting too ahead. Last week, I was impressed by his run last week as well, when he beat Sinner from a set down and um, had some other good wins over Dimitrov and Felix. And I was thinking, okay, you know, he did do this in Vienna last year. So what what's different here? And I think uh, what's different here is that he just looks a lot more. Just looks like he's trusting his game a lot more, and it, it looks like it looks like he's recovered uh, from the Australian open match against Corda in the third round where he did actually say that his wrist was bothering him, bef- him before that match. Okay. And I think that does, that does mean something because now you look at his run here and he was able to sustain that in pretty different conditions to indoors. Um, as for the sunshine double, I'm not sure how much it means because Indian Wells is you know traditionally a lot different. It's higher bouncing, it's slow, it's gritty. The ball moves fast through the air it's not going to reward that kind of flat hitting, but I mm. do think, uh, you know, with the form that he's in, he can certainly go deep there. I don't, I wouldn't expect him to maybe win it, but now, you know, Novak is not playing most likely. And Alcaraz is a question mark and Rafa is probably not going to play either. And draws can, you know, open up in a weird, weird way. And we can see a new first time winner. So certainly he's good enough that he can, he can capitalize on it. Um, but as for how he looked, I, I thought he just—he looks uh, a lot more calmer. He's not really like look, looking up at his box and, you know, um, not playing victim as much. But he's losing a lot of these points. I feel like he's moving on and he's starting to adjust a little bit tactically. I, I saw him move in uh, a little bit on the return, take away the serve and volley because he actually played a very tough. He uh, he had, a, he had a, faced a tough circumstance against uh, Christopher O'Connell. It was. -hmm. Uh, In that match where he won the first set like rather comfortably, and then he lost the second. And O'Connell was basically using the slice backhand a lot, serving and volleying him a ton, um, and you know really mixing up, mixing up pace, giving him uh, some lower awkward shots. And he actually like had to adjust at five all. He like kind of stepped in and started taking a lot of those returns early, and he played a great game to break and then held. And then I thought Felix was doing better than he did last week against him, and he still managed to problem solve. And it could have gotten complicated even against Andy when he was up a break in the second set and then Andy came back and like you said, it wasn't a, even though the score was 6-4, 6-4, I mean, Andy did manage to uh, stay in the match for some time and even forced uh, Medvedev to serve it out at Deuce. Um, and it kind of finished ironically with a Andy Murray style lob on, on the match point. So, <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, I, yeah, I think, you know, I, I certainly would expect him to continue the form a little bit in Dubai uh, where he goes next. Um, because i looked at his draw there and I, I do like his chances potentially to get to the semifinals and face jokovic um but okay. you know we've seen in the past when he does win tournaments like this he does tend to get on a roll i remember yeah. in 2020 he, he won paris and the atp finals and in 2019 he made that stretch of the summer where yeah. he won he's now racking up these titles he's at 17 overall um, and he's kind of winning all these hardcore titles at least once in different different places and he kind of mm. It, that's a good yeah. sign,
1: you know, for, for his overall career as we look back because we do often see certain players excel at certain times of the year or certain certain conditions, if you like. But if he's racking up, as you say, a, a wide variety of hard court titles, that's, that's good for him. Um, yeah. And also, I still just think that we just probably need – Uh, I mean, there was the top 10 thing, but he's got that off his back now, obviously beating uh, Felix, I think it is in back-to-back tournaments, actually. Uh, Funnily enough, in, in, in Rotterdam as well, he had a very sticky opening match against Davidevic for Fakina, where they were yeah. breaking serve left, right, and center, and and the O'Connell match was a bit similar. And and the question there regarding the the was it O'Connell or McDonald? Did you say in in in? Yeah, you
0: know, it was it was O'Connell. O'Connell,
1: yeah. yeah. So um, against O'Connell, and it, 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 he was exposing one of these questions that we still very much have about Daniel, which is the slice. Yeah. What do you do when you pose a different problem, when you bring him in a bit, if you like? Sometimes I remember him getting caught in no man's land and he doesn't really know whether it's stick or twist. Um, yeah. And I do think really, not just smart players, but players capable of mixing things up a bit, i.e. Rafa, obviously Novak, but also some of these other guys, maybe in the top 20, they can really maybe still expose Daniel. But let's see, let's yes. see how that goes. And
0: Felix, um, we should mention, is a decent matchup for him overall he's six and0 against him so it wasn't very surprising when he beat him uh, last week yeah, in rotterdam and even true. even today and you're right there are some things still in his game that you know we, we need to see it still in a bigger tournament on a bigger we scale do. against different players because there have been there are still certain matchups that he will struggle against there's there's no question about it
1: you mentioned, Vanch, uh, Carlos Alcaraz in a, in a sentence about doubts regarding the Sunshine Double. We know about the Djokovic scenario. We're still obviously going to wait to see if he does get the exemption permission that he's seeking. Uh, we also know about Rafa's situation. I would say it's unlikely that he'll play Indian Wells given he his hip, hip injury. But you also added Alcaraz to that list of doubts. And yep. the reason being is because um, he was certainly hindered during his final loss to Cam Norrie, and it does appear to be the same injury that stopped him from playing in Australia. So that is why, if you're wondering why Vanch had him on the list, but let's let's start with Cam Norrie, and then we'll go in a bit deeper with Alcaraz. How impressed have you been with Cam Norrie the last couple of weeks?
0: Very impressive, because he made, um, you know, it's not common for Brits to do well on clay, first of all, and this is the first back-to-back final that we're seeing two players, two of the same players in since Djokovic and Murray in Madrid and Rome in 2016. So that tells you how rare that is. And it was a good decision by him to go and play the clay in this South American swing where he'd already played Davis cup. So, you know, it made sense and he lost to Alcaraz last week, but this week he had so many brutal matches where he was having to come back from a set down or losing sets. And the man just never gets tired. I feel like he can just run all day (laughs) and we know about the lungs and we know he was literally born with, you know, bigger size lung than most humans and then you add in the fact that he is just so uh so difficult to to put away because of the discrepancies in his ground strokes with the flat backhand and the loopy forehand but also he's just he's just uh getting five to ten percent better every year if you like and every single time i think oh my goodness you know this is he can't possibly get better than this he's maxed out and then he just surprises you like this and he's He's always there, and he mentioned after this match that he didn't even notice Alcaraz's injury, which is crazy. I mean, that's how you're supposed to play an injured opponent. Um, yeah. And, you know, just worry about your side of the net, but every single bit of kitchen sink that Alcaraz threw at him in this final, he was still able to withstand all of that and come out the winner on top, where I think a lot of other players might not have in that situation. So he does deserve a lot of credit. And now he's proven that he can play. He's very surface versatile because now he's got the Wimbledon semi-final, He's won Indian Wells on hard, and now he's got this 500 on clay. And now that's uh, you know he's the, that's uh, two top three top ten wins this year because he beat Fritz and Nadal at the United Cup as well, so and he's won the most matches of anyone on tour this year. I think his record is eighteen and three. Okay. So, so that's the, that's the you know that's pretty good, and his only losses are to yeah Alcaraz and Lehechka at the Australian Open uh, and the Auckland final, which he probably should have won against Gasquet. He
1: possibly should have won that Lehetzka match as well. I mean, listen, yeah. Lehetzka did great, but there was quite a few breaks of serve. There was a moment as well of concern regarding an injury for uh, Cam Noe, but in that fifth set against Lehetzka in, in Australia, but he never mentioned it, so I guess it yeah. was okay. But well, I think he got maybe some strapping at some point. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, I mean, he said himself that it's a surface where he's not really enjoyed a great deal of success. As you said, Vanch, the British are not that well-known for doing super well on clay. Um, Andy Murray, obviously getting to the French open final one year was a bit of an outlier. in, in that I, I think I remember mm-hmm. Tim Hemman getting to the semi-finals at the French open as well once, but yeah. I, I, I can't quite, it must've been a super lucky draw, I would imagine. Um, uh, but anyway, but you're right. We don't tend to uh, have a great deal of success on the surface, but yeah, I, I've been, I've been quite impressed. The only dampener I would say is that both tournaments Before they began, I was like looking at both halves of the draw thinking, I don't think there's anybody here that'll beat Cam Norrie. And obviously Alcaraz, if he produces his best, should be making the final. There was a few more doubts before Buenos Aires in terms of it being his first tournament back. And we saw, I think it was Les Lozier in the first round and he he did go three sets in that match. Um, But uh, when it came into Rio, again, I was thinking, I think we're going to see the same final again and i probably predicted the same outcome didn't happen uh cam Noi did win but there are some circumstances around it In fact, i was watching it just a few hours ago i made a new few notes in my phone um not just in terms of uh obviously the the injury that 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 that, uh, carlos picked up but the notes i've got in my phone tend to be fairly complimentary about both players Um, The first set went the way of of Alcaraz 7-5. But we did see, when it got to the third set, we did see a now hampered Alcaraz, if you like. Just, no pun intended, but pull out all the the shots and all the stops. Um, And in particular, the drop shot. I know he's well known for the drop shot. But even by his standards, there were some just insane ones that, that just even Norrie just, you know, you mentioned the lungs and his health and his fitness, but he couldn't get to them. And he was obviously trying to shorten the points. And he was very, very close to winning this match, despite being in the third set. Yeah, there, there's no way that that really he was going to be chasing balls down, if you like, but he was still very, very close to winning this match.
0: Yeah, and he was going all out aggression because he basically didn't have his legs under him. And exactly. he was having to... He was having to, you know, go big on the on the serve, go big on the forehand, and he was literally like, there was one game where he just hit four winners on the forehand uh, at three two in the in the third set with Nori serving up a break. He hits two return winners and two forehand winners, and he was just he just happened to be in position for those, and he just went for them, and it was like, you know, I mean, you saw the look on Nori's face, and everyone else was, was just gasping like, how is this? Possible because I, you know, how did he get that close with with being that compromised? Like, and then you know, and then he hit that running forehand down the line, like around the net post. That yeah, was yeah, 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 yeah. It was that the one that Nori disputed. Yeah, disputed the mark even though they showed yeah, the replay yeah. later and was pretty well in. It
1: was comfortably <laughs> and, in, yeah.
0: And you know, and to Nori's credit, he did come back and he had Uh, He did break in that game and then served it out eventually 7-5. But he had to work so hard even to do so. And he had no idea what was coming next from Alcaraz. And I don't think Alcaraz did either because he was just throwing the kitchen sink at Nori. And just, we saw his fool. This guy has plan A, B, C, D, E. Like he has it all. It's just, you know, that's why it was such a shame that he he got injured because I think, um, you know, I think at at one point I was thinking this could be a six love second set. Like because it was three love, you know, Nori was serving love three, love 30. Yeah, and at that point I was like, "My goodness, like this is really slipping away from Nori, big yeah. time." And then, and then how quickly things change.
1: Yeah, and and also a week before in Buenos Aires, I think for periods of the match. Carlos was just on a on two or three different levels to yeah. to Cam Norrie. Cam Norrie did really well to hang in there in Buenos Aires, if you like. It was a slightly different final in this sense, but you're right at love thirty. And Cam Norrie mentioned that in his speech and with great clarity of mind, he was like, you know, a set and love three and, and, and love thirty down in the in the second, you know, staring down the barrel. But um you know, it's, it's a big tournament for, for Cam to win. Of course, he has won a Masters 1,000, but he's now got a 500 on clay to add to his selection. And as you say, I think every year we go, well, he's maxed out. You know, he's obviously got to the semifinals at Wimbledon last year and he won a Masters 1,000 a couple of years ago. But we keep saying that's the that's the ceiling for him and he's doing great. But, yeah. but he does keep uh, surprising us. But back to Alcaraz as well, there was one drop shot that he did I mean, I, I, where Cam Norrie actually ch- chases it down, again, he's just either just short of getting his racket. I think on this occasion, he didn't even get his racket on it. Uh, yep. A couple of other ones, he managed to get his racket on it, but hit it into the net. Um, but uh, on this occasion, he couldn't. And actually, Cam Norrie is sort of sliding and starting to begin an applause, you know, the, the tapping of the racket. But actually, he stops himself after about two taps. It's almost like it's not that he doesn't respect his opponent. It's not that he doesn't respect the unbelievable shot that he's just received, but it's almost like, I can't, I can't just keep, you know, applausing or, or whatever. I, I need to, you know, stay in the moment if you like. And it was quite funny how he sort of did a, a, began an applause and then sort of stopped himself. But um, he didn't win Carlos, but he certainly, listen, he certainly had the support of the crowd there uh, obviously Latin America, yeah. but Portuguese speaking in Brazil. But they, they, he was certainly very much the fact. It wasn't like they were anti-Nori, not at all. I mean, he got a lot of respect from the crowd and, and Nori mentioned in his speech afterwards how he went to to practice tennis with some kids in, in, in Rio as well. So I think he's had a good time there. Um, and it sets him up quite nicely now for, for the Sunshine Dublin. Of course, he has won in Indian Wells in the past. So we'll see how that pans out. I do just want to highlight uh, a shot from Al Karaz. Yeah. Uh, it's quite ironic because he's not on the screen here. This is the beginning, I think, of the point. Let me just go go to it very quickly. I I, I This is, the, I think, near the beginning of the point. Yes, it is. Um, yeah. But it's also quite ironic that he's off screen because he yeah. ends up being um, off screen as well. Here, just a second, if I can just pause it maybe here. So he he's just about to leave our screen and now he's off the screen. He's basically where the where the word trends is, if you like, <laughs> uh, on my laptop, which is quite ironic because it, he was this certainly this uh, this video for which was trending because he then fires uh, a, a forehand winner from off the screen, and I think I tweeted you had to be there to see it, and you really did because he's off our screen, so yeah. we can only imagine how he got his racket on it, and of course sends a sensational winner past Jarry.
0: He was he was not in the frame at all, and I had to like rewind the video and just you know see it, like is this you know is this actually only thirty seconds? Like I need to see the whole thing. And then yeah. luckily, I think Tennis TV on their YouTube page they put up another oh, video okay. this morning, and that had it from all the angles. So then I could actually see okay where Alcaraz was actually. He was literally like eight feet behind the baseline, near where the shot near where the time clock is basically, yeah. and he was almost about to fall over there as he was hitting it. It was. Nuts, bananas, like one of the shots of the year, for sure.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I thought I wanted to highlight that. One more thing I want to highlight before we go uh, is there is a certain uh, tennis player from Serbia. Uh, We see him here practicing ahead of uh, the Dubai tournament that's going to get underway in a few hours, I believe. And he's playing tomorrow there. And it's the beginning of his 378th week as world number one. Uh, an incredible achievement. Of course, that takes him past the 377 of, of Steffi Graf. He touched on that during an in, during a, a press conference last week. He gave uh, how proud he was of that. And I, and I just want to say one more thing before I get your thoughts on it, um, Vance, and That is that I probably didn't see this coming. In about 2020, it might be been 20, actually 2021, he said that I think he'd gone past Federer's mark or was just on the verge of doing so. And he said, like, right now, it's just about the slams. And so he, you know, was obviously going to be competing at other big tournaments, but a bit like we've seen with Rafa in the last year or two, that the number one sort of goes down the pecking order, if you like, of, of priorities. Plus, of course, all the tennis that he's missed in the last 12 months. I, there's no way even, and, and Wimbledon, no points and all the rest of it. I didn't see this coming. And he's only lost once since the French Open. And that was, oh, if you ignore the the Labor Cup, which I I personally do, I know officially yeah. it's it's included in in the win loss record where he lost to Felix, but he's only lost once mm-hmm. since the French Open, uh, which is, you know, it's getting on. We're almost at the clay court season again.
0: Yeah, uh, no, the record is extraordinary because it's basically only since July fourth, two thousand eleven. That was his first week, and then yeah, let's true. not forget he had those two years of slump in between where he won true. all the four majors, and then he had you know then Andy Murray finished 2016 number 1 and then uh you know then he wasn't really the same until he won Wimbledon in 2018 because he had all the problems with his uh with his elbow and then he was out for 6 months in 2017 so for him to get the number 1 ranking back in 2018 in the same year that he was number 22 that was that was a very impressive achievement and that sort of set him on track because since then he's now, he, he, he focuses all his emphasis on the majors and in doing so, he has to worry less about the number one ranking because you win three majors in a season like 2021, you're number one no matter what. Like, you know, that season he just needed to win, yeah, just three majors and then just one Masters and one 250 in Belgrade and he was number one, year-end number one. And he's done it seven times year-end number one and now, honestly, it looks like reasonably so he might even get to 400 um, yeah. if he's able to you know you know play the U.S. Open especially then like I don't see why you know this could be a, maybe another two or three slam year for, for Novak
1: yeah um, definitely so, yeah, I mean this and this this points to be picked up time. if he does get into the U.S. for the Sunshine Double but certainly if he gets into the U.S. for the U.S. Open which I think is almost an you know inevitable you know yeah. Wimbledon points might well be on offer this year as well French Open, he's defending a quarterfinal, but that you would imagine, uh, depending on the draw, but you would imagine that he would go past that. So, yeah, I just see him picking up points. It won't be really until post-US Open that he'll have a bunch of points to defend. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And and like I say, just one defeat in probably, um, oof, I would imagine it's 30, 35 matches, something like that.
0: Yeah, I think he's won like 47 of his last 50. And I'm including Labour Cup, but okay, you don't yeah. even have to include that. I mean, that's yeah, yeah sure. Basically just the quarterfinal loss to Nadal in Paris and the final loss to Luna. That's it. Like he's won seven of his last nine tournaments. And yeah. he's heavy favourite to win Dubai, which he's won five times already in the past. It'll be interesting to see if there's any kind of rust after his... Uh, yeah, and there might win. be. And there might be. There might be. And, you know, he might start off the clay season slow as well. He's not done very well in Monte Carlo. Since he's not won it since twenty fifteen and he's had taken okay. some early losses there. Yeah. Um, but I, I expect by Rome and the French Open, hopefully we have Nadal and Djokovic very close to their best, and we can see them clash it off in Paris for the 60th time. That's that's what I'm hoping. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I, I, I agree, and I think Djokovic even touched on it himself last week, how he said he'd love their next meeting to be in the final. Yeah. At he said
0: Nadal is his biggest rival for sure, and yeah. it means a lot more to him than even Carlos because of the history, of course.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was very deferential to Carlos in that he was very respectful, but he's like, you know, you you can't um, ignore. Uh, I did an article on that sort of news conference that he gave on a tennis court um, just ahead of traveling out to Dubai last week. Um, So, yeah, um, listen, Novak Djokovic, the steamroller goes on this week. Yeah, we'll see. He may, uh, you know, he may. uh, he's the favorite. I've, I've got a poll going right now on YouTube, so make sure you get voting in that poll. Um, as to whether uh, you think I've got Djokovic or the field in the poll, uh, I'll have a quick look to see how that poll is uh, turning out before I bring this episode to an end. Let's have a quick look at the poll. It is right now saying, "Oh, oh!" Actually, interestingly, we've got two thirds of the people in the poll suggesting that someone else. Will win uh in Dubai. Well, we'll see if that turns out to be the case. I understand. i say I think it was this tournament last year where he went out quite early as well. I'm trying to remember yeah. who he lost to, but yeah,
0: he lost to Yuri Vesely.
1: Yeah, right, Yuri Vesely as well. Exactly. I think it was in yeah. the second round or second match anyway.
0: Yeah, quarters, but it was still like yeah, that was but he hadn't played, you know, Australia. He hadn't played in a long time before that. His last batch was Davis Cup. That's right. And of course he had the whole thing with Australia and the deportation before that. So yeah. The difference is this year he's coming with having won Adelaide and not Australia. Exactly.
1: And he said he's not feeling any pain as yeah. well. Um,
0: no.
1: So, yeah, make sure you check out uh, the Talking Tennis website. And I've got that article that, um, uh, regarding his p- possibilities for Indian Wells and Miami. So make sure you check that out. I'll probably share that right now in the live chat before we do. Bring this to a close. Make sure you hit the like button. Make sure you subscribe to the channel if you are new. Uh, also, you can join us. I've pinned that as well in the live chat. Here's the article on Djokovic, by the way. I'm just posting that. Uh, make sure you give Vanch a follow on Twitter. Vanch, what is your Twitter handle?
0: Um, it's You can follow me at VanchV2K. And you can also follow me at uh, Tennis and Bagels. Oh, of course, is, yes. Uh, yeah, The podcast I have with Andre Rollenberg and Owen, who's in Australia right now. Is Owen still in Australia? Yeah, he's doing his—he's uh, doing a whole semester abroad there. So he's. Oh, I he's, didn't know that. His, I
1: knew he was there uh, for the. Aussie. Oh, I had no idea. Okay, cool. So he's in a very different time zone. Um, that's—that's that's good to know actually, because I was probably just assuming he was back in the U.S. But okay, great. I must get in touch with though, and I haven't been spoken to him for a little while. Um, so that's cool. Yes. Yeah, so Tennis and Bagels is the podcast. Make sure you check that out. Uh, subscribe to that uh, wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, and also, as I say, hit a like on this video and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're also in podcast form as well. And check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Talking Tennis TT. Vansh, big thanks for uh, joining me today.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, John, for having me. I love these chats and love analyzing what's going on in professional tennis. And yeah, happy to do it anytime.
1: Great, vanch Thanks very much. Uh, I will uh, give a little 15-second video just to remind you, you all know what to do, and this is what you have to do. If you enjoyed this video, make sure you hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.